guys, my name's Brianna and I'm here with Pastor Nicole and we are gonna talk to you about Operation Christmas Child this year. So Brianna, tell the people why Operation Christmas Child is so important to you. So this to me is just a tangible way that we can like reach kids around the world with the gospel. Everybody can. Mm -hmm. But we're gonna do a little different this year. You've had this amazing idea and we found out that there's packing parties going on all around us. And we've been doing this individual and that's amazing, but we think we can make a bigger impact and buy supplies at a cheaper cost by going through Amazon. If you see a QR code laying around, that's gonna be just for Operation Christmas Child. And Brianne has made this list so that we'll know what pencils, balls, stuffed animals, whatever needs to go in this box, we can order it and get it at a cheaper price and it directly ships to the church so that we'll be ready for our packing party. And we have a really big goal this year. Mm -hmm. We're gonna do 500 this year. 500 boxes, that's amazing. And we can all be a part of it. So what we're asking you to do is be sure and purchase something from Amazon, go on the wish list. And number two, show up on the date. So it's gonna be October 29th after church in the lobby. Show up on that date and immediately when we leave and dismiss church, we're gonna have all of the packing stuff out so that everyone can participate. We want you and your children, go ahead, prepare a note that you wanna put in a box, take a picture, share it with your family, whatever you wanna do, we want you to be a vital part of this day for us. So bring your families out, buy something and show up on the packing party. Help make Operation Christmas Child a success this year. Welcome to church. How are we doing tonight? Good. I know you could be anywhere else on a Wednesday night, but you are here in church and we love that. So turn to your neighbor, tell them, I'm glad to see you here tonight. Live streamers, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We'd love to see you sometime. Also, if you are a first time guest, there is a card in the back of the pew. If you would like to fill that out, we'd love to meet you tonight out at the Welcome Center and just get to know you a little bit tonight. So the next thing I have is you guys just saw that video, um, Operation Christmas Child. So we're doing a little bit different this year. So if you want more info on that, go out to the table out there. You can check it out. But I can tell you firsthand, I know a few people personally who did receive these boxes as a child. And it really makes an impact and a huge difference. So I really encourage you guys to check that out. The next thing I have is who is excited? Small groups start next Wednesday. We love small groups here. We value relationships and you find freedom in small groups. It's wonderful. So there's still time to sign up. If you'd like to sign up, you can head out there, ask more questions, see what group you can get involved in. And then this Saturday, we have our Saturday morning prayer at 8 a.m. I encourage you guys, it's a powerful time to come together and pray. We lay out prayer requests here on the altar and we just join together in faith and pray and believe and lift others up in this body of Christ. So it's an awesome time. I encourage you, come on out to prayer. Prayer is important, amen. All right, let's get on our feet tonight. This first song we're doing tonight is called Let Faith Arise, and we're going to let faith arise in this place tonight. Amen. Lord Jesus, we welcome you into this place, Father. I thank you, Lord, that our praise and our worship would just be sweet unto you tonight, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that freedom is coming, Father God. Chains are falling, Lord Jesus, and faith is arising in this place tonight, Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
when the battle is raging, I won't back down. Satan's defeated, proclaiming now, shouting our praises. You go before, fighting the battle, winning the war. Of your presence. 
We can hear the wind blowing, blowing, blowing. Move upon us. Oh, yes. Sons and daughters. Oh, come on, church. of the Lord today. Can we say amen? Hallelujah. 
Well, I have the honor of talking about money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love talking about money. And we get to talking about giving money. I didn't hear too many amens on that one. But you know what? That's interesting. Why do we have a problem with giving money? Do you value it more in your possession than out of your possession? Well, that's not right because the Bible says in Acts 20, 35, and I have showed you all things that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So that means my joy actually increases when I give. So it can't be I value it more in my possession. That, that's, that's just not right. Is it the comfort that it gives me? Is that why we have a problem giving? Well, Psalms 37, 16, 17 says, A little that a righteous man have is better than the richest of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. So it can't be comfort. I wonder, do I believe it's the source of what I need? Maybe that's why I have a problem giving. Well, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. So it, 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 it can't be that I think that that's my source. Maybe it's fear. Maybe that's why people don't want to give, because of fear. But then 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So it should not be fear. Well, maybe, maybe... Am I greedy? Or do I just love money? Well, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And while some covered after it, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Okay, so I shouldn't be greedy. And I shouldn't love money. Okay, well, why, why is it that we don't want to give? Do you think once you give it, it's gone for good, and now you have less than what you started with? Well, Luke 6.38 says, give, and it shall be given back to you. Press down, shaking together, running over. Will men pour into your bosom? So, okay, that. That can't be it either. Maybe it's this. Maybe we're planning on keeping as much of our money as we can, and we're going to keep it forever and ever. Well, the Bible says in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 7, For you brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, that we should honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thy increase, that our, barn, our barns will be filled with plenty and they will press, shall burst out with new wine. It's saying that we should show respect to God with our money. That's what, that's what we're supposed to do. So if all those other things get in the way, well, they're liars. They're liars. And the word has an answer for every single objection, concern that we have when it comes to money. He even says this, if you say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, he's got a response for that. He says, lean not to your own understanding. So I was trying to find something, you know, to say, this is why a person may not give. And God had an answer for everyone. So you know what? 
let's just do it his way. He promises, he guarantees that we'll be blessed if we do it his way. And it takes faith. But guess what? It's impossible to please God without faith. So this is a win-win situation. Can we say amen to that? So you know what? Let me pray over the money that you're going to give. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that we are just stirred up. We're just convinced that you're right. Your way is better. And so as we step out in faith, God, I thank you that you're going to respond. And there's a harvest for the people who are giving and even those who have decided to become tithers. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on forth and bring your offering. Hallelujah. I'm excited to be out here with you guys tonight, and uh, we're going we're gonna to take another little journey through the Word. Uh, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 73. Psalms chapter 73 is going to be like our primary text for tonight. And uh, here's what I want to talk to you about. I'm just a little excited because pa- you guys don't know this, but every time Pastor Rick does the offering before I come up to preach, he like always hits the scriptures that I'm going to be going to. And right before he came up, I was going to walk over to him and say, Pastor Rick, don't steal my message tonight. And I kid you not, the very first verse he read was straight out of, I was like, come on, man. It's going to happen again. Just let the man preach. Anyways, here's what I want to talk to you guys about tonight. And I, I want to show you in the scriptures this. Uh, how many of you have ever dealt with FOMO? You know what I'm talking about? The fear of missing out. Anybody? I'm going to be real honest with you. You might not think you have, but there's a reason it's like the number one uh, marketing campaign tool in the world is because we as humans hate to feel like we ain't got what everyone else has got. And it's it's really a story as old as the Bible. It's a story as old as humanity's history. We do not like the idea of missing out on something. Now, I know, I know, I know. Some of you are like really introverted and you're like, I love the idea of missing out on something. I get it. I hear you. But just bear with me, all right? Bear with me. There's this fear of missing out sometimes when we're going through life. And we're going through life as people who believe in Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus' will is what I should seek with my life, that I should be living for his will, for his kingdom, and all that stuff. And in the process of doing so, we hit these moments where we're looking around feeling like we might be missing out on what everyone else is experiencing, you know, like, I'll just be honest with you, like, we're supposed to give. There's a whole lot of people in the world I could name that aren't very generous, and they got a whole lot more money than me. And I go, wait a minute, maybe the better way here is to not give, right? You see what I'm saying? Maybe I'm missing out. Maybe if I just kept it to myself a little bit more, I could have what I really want. You guys tracking with the fear of missing out. What I've learned about myself, so I'm going to be a little transparent with you tonight, and if you relate to what I'm sharing with you, then hopefully you'll get something out of this. But I've noticed in my own life that the fear of missing out really impacts my walk with Jesus in, in two ways. And the first way is this. It'll paralyze me from moving forward in what God has called me to do. Because I really, in my heart, I'm like, Man, if I really do what Jesus is asking me to do, how many of you know a lot of times it looks like you're giving a lot up to do it? You know what I'm saying? And so when I fear that I'm going to miss out when I follow what God's asking me to do, that can paralyze me 
from moving forward in what God wants for me. The other way that I've noticed it impacts my life is when I fear I'm going to miss out on something, not only does it paralyze what God's trying to do in my life, but it'll actually redirect me to go somewhere else entirely. And so these two things that are actually really negative are happening in my life. And here's what I want to show you, is that I know that this can hit us and affect us in some very real, deep ways. And I mean deep ways. And, and many of you sitting in here, you've gone through these struggles where it, it, can, it can show up like this. Like, I'm living for Jesus, and I'm trying so hard to do what God wants me to do with my life. Why isn't this one thing that I really want happening for me? And it hurts, and it's painful, and we can't always reconcile. God, I've done all of this. Like, I'm doing everything I can to live for you, but yet this one thing that I really want this, my heart's desire, it seems to be avoiding me. I just, here's an example from my own life. When I was in my young 20s, I really was like, the idea of getting married was like a very important thing to me. And I, I did not like the loneliness of not being married when I hit my early 20s, especially as I got into my early 20s and all of my friends started getting married. And I had a rather large friend group, you know, and I'm slowly seeing it whittle down to like, I'm the last one, you know, I'm the last Mohican here, and there ain't nothing looking like it's shaking for me, and yet in the midst of this, I'm pursuing everything I felt like God led me to do. I'm pursuing ministry. At this point in my life, I'm literally living here at the church, you know, interning for Pastor Kylan for free, like, like just, I'm chasing after what I believe that God's called me to do, and yet the one, the one massive thing that I really wanted in life outside of what God was leading me to was a wife, and, and it's just year after year, all my friends are getting married, I'm going, you know, I get to like celebrate there, and I just, I'm missing out, and I couldn't help but the thoughts coming in that maybe I'm doing something wrong, or the thought of maybe something's wrong with me, you know, and so there's this struggle place, and that's just one example, and I got to be honest with you, 10 years into being married, and, and like, three and a half kids on the way, like we're pregnant right now, in case you didn't know, we're having another baby, I'm really excited about it, thank you, we're four and no more though, we're tapped out, the quiver's full after this, so we're good, but I got to be honest with you, 10 years into marriage and four kids later, like that, that need was met, like thank God he showed up, and he delivered that desire, but guess what, I find myself right back in the same place where I'm looking at my life and I'm going, I feel like I'm missing out on certain things. And now it's even a heavier burden because now I feel like my kids are missing out on certain things. And then it starts to play in, well, they're missing out because of what I'm doing. And if I went and did something else or I moved somewhere else or I did this thing or I did that thing, maybe I could give them the things that I really want to give them. Are you hearing me? But the scriptures affirm to us over and over again, the most important place we could be is right in the center of God's will. That's what matters. But even when you know you're right in the center of his will and you look around you and you go, but I'm missing all these things that I really want, it can hurt. And I'm talking about stuff that we could say is really superficial. Let's take it to the next degree. You need a physical healing. I mean, like you're in real need of physical healing. And you've been living and all of a sudden you're in this place and it hurts and it's painful and it's hard to understand what's going on and, and your mind is racing and you're trying to put the pieces together or you're struggling with maybe infertility or you're struggling with a family member that you've been standing in faith that they're going to get saved. I mean, you name it. There are some real things that we go through in life and sometimes we feel like we're missing out because what we've been praying for and what our hearts are crying out for, we feel like it's not happening. And what does God speak to us in this place? And this is what I want to show you, and I hope that you find a lot of encouragement in this, because what I love about our scriptures is that it does not hide humanity from us. Amen. What I want you to know about your Bible is it's not full of a bunch of empty platitudes and positivity thinking. It deals with the real world that we inhabit. And in dealing with the suffering and the pain and the sorrow and the hurt, it offers something that the world cannot hope real hope. And it teaches us how to walk through these moments 
when the fear of missing out, the fear of if I just did it my own way, maybe it would work out better for me because the trusting God thing doesn't seem to be <laughs> doing what I need it to right now. The scriptures sit with us here in this moment and it ministers to us and it meets us there, which means that God meets us there. So in Psalm 73, this is a psalm by Asaph. Look at your neighbor and say, Asaph. Did you guys know all the psalms weren't written by David? This is by Asaph. Asaph in this psalm, he gives us a little, a little autobiography of a moment in his life, of a season of his life. And I want you to just hear the rawness, the realness of what he says. So Psalm 73, starting in verse 1, I'm, I'm using the NIV. If your translation looks different, that's probably why. But Asaph says this, surely God is good to Israel. So it starts off positive. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And most of us, if we're followers of Jesus, we'd agree with that statement. Yeah, God's good to his people. To those who are pure in heart, God is good to those people. And then you get to verse 2 and you're like, this psalm is going a very different direction than I thought it would. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can we stop right here for a moment? Can we just reflect on this as human beings, as people who live in a fallen world who are trying to follow the way of Jesus, and the way of Jesus is different than the way of the world? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're looking and you're going, these people that don't know nothing about Jesus, that are actually living anti-Jesus, they seem like life's going really good for them. Maybe I'm missing out. Maybe the path I'm on isn't the right one. This is what Asaph is saying. He's saying, I'm surveying my life and I'm looking at those around me and I'm going, my foot almost slipped. I almost fell off the path because when I looked out, it looked like everyone else who wasn't going with God had it going on. This is a real place. This is a real heart cry. Look what he says. He keeps going. He says, they have no struggles. In his place in life right now, in the midst of his struggle, this is how he sees those who are not with God. This is his perception of them. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Woo. He says, that's what the wicked are like, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. Church, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of times we come into this building, and there's a lot of people who feel like Asaph. You come in, and you're full of care, and you're full of worry, and you're full of burdens, and you're full of pain, and you're full of suffering. Why? Because when you're walking with Jesus and you can see right from wrong, you become very aware of how messed up the world is. And you can also become very aware of how messed up you are. And that can feel like a heavy place to be in life. And then it gets multiplied because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to come in and make it look like. Now, if we just stopped and we asked ourselves, is what Asaph's perception of people in the world, is that true? Are they really carefree? Do they really not suffer like we do? Do they really not endure hardships? Do they really not have cares? Like, are they really going? No, that's not true. Like, last I heard, one of the highest suicide rates in the nation was amongst the most wealthy. Clearly, they're, but what's happening? In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his questioning, in the midst of his hurting, the devil's coming, and he's making it look like everything else is so much better when you're not with Jesus. It ain't true, though. It's his perception. Let's keep going. Verse 13, he says, Surely in vain, this is so real, man. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. You know, I think sometimes we come into church 
And we know that the scriptures say his, his mercies are new every morning. And yet Asaph's saying, no, what I think is new every morning is the punishment I'm going to endure for the day. Why? Because in a fallen world, sometimes that's what our experience feels like. That I can know the truth of God's word, that his mercies are new every morning, that there may be sorrow at night, but joy will come in the morning. I can know those things, and yet in my heart, in the experience of my life, in the trials and the sufferings I'm going through, I feel like that's not true for me, even though it could be true for you. What a real, raw place to be in. What an isolated place to be in. What a lonely place to be in. Can you imagine? And maybe you've experienced this. You come to church and you're looking around and you're going, it looks like everyone else is happy. It looks like God's showing up for everyone else in their life. And yet here I am. And you look at your own life and you go, why am I the only one not getting in on what the good stuff is that's happening here? I want you to know that if you've ever felt that way, and if you feel that way right now, I want you to know that God, through his holy scriptures, is speaking to you. That you're not alone. That in the midst of those seasons of life, when you're sitting down and you're questioning and you're wondering and you're, you're ready to abandon ship because it just doesn't feel like it's working out, then in those moments, God in his grace and in his mercy said, let me speak to you because you're not the only one. God gets down in the mess with us. I love this so much because God's not just looking from heaven, giving us a platitude. Hey, you might have sorrow at night, but joy's coming in the morning. No, Jesus came. God himself came and wrapped himself in human flesh, and he entered into the mess and into the suffering and into the pain of our lives and our existence and the reality of living in a fallen world, and he endured it alongside us. He said, I will take the full weight of what sin and the fallen nature has done to you. I will take it into myself. That's why Hebrews says that he's a great high priest because he can empathize with us in our weakness. He doesn't just feel sympathy for you. He empathizes with you because he has felt it himself. He's a God who loves us so much that he won't just sit on a heavenly throne and throw out well wishes to us. He actually gets down and wraps himself in flesh and says, watch how much I'll suffer so that I can relate to you in this fallen world. He joins us in the mess. If you're in the midst of a season right now, if you're watching on live stream and you're in the midst of a season right now where you feel like you're barely hanging on to your faith and you're looking around at everything else and going, it doesn't make sense, God, and you're just sitting there in your hurt and in your anguish and in your pain and in your confusion, I want you to know that Jesus is right there with you. Amen. He's right there with you. But Asaph doesn't stop there. Verse 15, he said, if I had spoken out like that, if I would have betrayed your children, I would have betrayed your children. Look at verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. It's so real, man. When you're in the fight of faith, I mean, when you're in the thick of it and you're standing and you're going, God, why? God, why? God, why? And it's been days and it turns into weeks and it turns into months and it turns into years. And you're going, why, Lord? Have you not showed up in this way? Why have you not delivered me? You start to ask things like that. And it can cause you to be troubled in your heart. It can cause you, maybe I made a huge mistake. But I love what he says. Look. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Now watch it switch. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Hallelujah. Ooh. And then he said, and then I understood their final destiny. See, the enemy wants to come into your life and he wants to make you look at everything else and go, look how good they've all got it. And he's lying to you. Those people in the world ain't any better off than you are. They're going through the same hardships, the same struggles, the same difficulties. They're going through all of it. The devil's trying to manipulate you and make you think that if you get out of your relationship with Jesus, that life will be better for you. That ain't true because the one thing we have is a God who's actually able to heal and restore. And he gives us hope and a hope that's not just for this life, but it's eternal. But the devil wants to take your eyes off that hope and get you to focus on the present, the right here and right now. And go, if he can't help you right now, why are you giving up? Look at all these other happy people. But Asaph says, when I entered the sanctuary of my God, 
What's he talking about? I went seeking the Lord. I got in the Lord's presence, and then I understood something. What? The Lord gave him some wisdom. Because when you're in the midst of those seasons, what you really need is to seek the Lord and get some wisdom in your heart. Look what he says. This isn't a platitude. This is his life story. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I stood, and I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. And you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. It's like like the Lord gave him wisdom and now he's resurveying the world and he's going, wait a minute. These people who aren't with you, God, their life is a fantasy. It all amounts to nothing in the end. Why? Why? Because all they have is what this life gives them. The Lord's bringing wisdom and reminding him. Church, I want you to hear this. The great hope of the Christian faith is not that you'll get a miracle today. The great hope of the Christian faith is that when you die, you will be with Jesus. That's the great hope. And thank God in his mercy and in his grace, we get to taste a little bit of kingdom of heaven right here and right now. But the hope that we're all banking our lives on, you could get a miracle 50,000 times, but if you die and don't raise from the dead, it didn't mean much. Right? The Lord's bringing wisdom to Asaph and saying, hey, man, look at the end game here a little bit. Open your eyes a little bit wider. Lift up your head a little bit more. Get a big picture view of what's happening because these people that you think got it going on, their life is but a fantasy. And it's going to end one day. And when it ends, it's not going to be good anymore. He keeps going. He says, when my heart was grieved, now listen to the realness here. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I've been this way before. When the worries and the weight and the suffering and and, and the trials and the pain and the hurts weigh on you and they just keep weighing on you, you get to the place that he says, "I I was senseless. I couldn't see straight. I couldn't think straight. Everything that I knew to be true, I couldn't see it anymore. He's seen it. He says, I was like, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Asaph says, in that condition, when my heart was full of bitterness and I was empty and I was suffering and I couldn't understand anything and I was, I was troubled in my spirit, when I was in that position, when that was the place of my life, I was senseless and ignorant like a beast, like an animal. He's like, I was no different than that cow out there. As far as my understanding goes, do you see how when we allow the weight of the world to just press us down and we forget the hope that we have in Christ, we lose our senses? That's what Asaph is telling us. I know what it's like. But look at verse 23. We start to flip again. Asaph says, yet I am always with you. Look at this. I was deeply troubled. I was ready to give up, but I entered the sanctuary of my God, and then I understood something, and then I realized what I thought all these other people had. I realized it's nothing but a fantasy. It's just a mist and a vapor that one day will be gone, but I am always with God. He says, God holds me by his right hand. He counsels me. He guides me with his counsel, and he says, and afterward, you will take me into glory. I love that. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish, and you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Church, this psalm gives us so much encouragement because, A, it meets us in that really low place, but it refuses to leave us there. What does that mean for you? That means when you're at your absolute lowest, Jesus comes down, and he sticks out his hand, and he says, you don't have to stay here, child. You don't have to stay here. 
Like, I want you to hear this, church. You might be at a place where you're ready to jump off the boat because just life and the pain and the suffering and the questions and the unanswered prayers, you might be ready to jump. Jesus meets you at that place, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He's reaching out. He's saying, come on up, child. There's something more for you. I want you to hear that tonight. If you're in that place of suffering, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to. Now I want to show you some good stuff. I want to show you some more good stuff, I should say. Let me skip down here. Here's the big idea that I want to share with you. Is that the lie is that God is holding back on you. That's the lie the enemy wants to get you to believe. And I said it's as old as human history and I meant it. In Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They're living an absolute perfect life. I mean, just life is good. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? First thing he tries to do is get her to doubt what God actually said, right? You see that. She said, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from from the trees in the garden, But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. He said, okay, all right, so you know what God said, okay. You're not going to die, though. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. Verse 5, for God knows, look at this, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the devil doing? God's holding out on you. You know why God doesn't want you to have that? Because if you have it, you'll have something God didn't give you. You'll actually get something better than what God gave you. You get to be like God. The first thing he's going to come and do is try to get you, do you know what God said? And if you know what God said, guess what the second? Well, that's not, that's not the whole story. God didn't tell you the whole truth. He's hiding something from you. Why do we look at people and want what they have? Why does God in the Old Testament tell the Israelites over and over again, hey, listen, don't envy these other nations. When you see them out doing their thing and living however they want to live and stuff, don't look at them and let your heart become envious or jealous of them. Don't chase after the things they're after. Their end is destruction. Don't get caught up in it. The devil wants to always come in and make us go, do you actually know what God said? Because if you don't know what God said, I'm going to tell you something, church, you don't have a foot to stand on. Because this is just a reality. God doesn't hold your word up. He holds his word up. That's what you stand on. You can't just walk around and be like, God's going to do this for me. You better have a Bible verse to back you up. Because I've heard some people say God will do stupid stuff for them. Now, I'm pretty sure God in heaven's like, hmm. <laughs> Full stop, you know. That ain't The devil wants to lie to you and make you think you're missing out on what God's, that that there's actually something better for you than what God has already given you. Here's an ironic thing, though. The whole redemption story is literally God just trying to get us back to the original thing he started us out as. Why? Because there was actually nothing better than what he originally gave. It could not get any better than what he had already given us. And so the whole arc of the Bible is we go from the Garden of Eden to the new Garden of Eden, the new Jerusalem, and it comes, and we're reunited with the Lord, and there's no more separation and sins cast out. We're just going back to where it all started because there was nothing better than that to begin with. But the lie the enemy wants us to believe is that we're missing out because God's holding out, and we can't give in to that lie. It's also important to point out verse 6. After he says, hey, the Lord's holding out on you, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You know what's amazing is that God is the one, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Like every good, you cannot get anything better than God gives, right? And the devil will come and be like, actually you can. And what's amazing is that humans are really susceptible to going, oh, that shiny thing does look better than something God could give me. And we think this is silly, but I'm telling you when I let the Holy Spirit just investigate my life, I see this in my own life over and over again. 
where these subtle little deceptions come in and just say, hey, you know what will really make you happy? This thing. Look at it. It's so shiny. It's like your kids. It's like my kids. Maybe your kids are not like my kids. My kids own like 13,000 balls. You know what I'm saying? Like just of every variation and color and size and shape. And I'm sick and tired of them because they're everywhere and I just want to burn them all with fire. And what I know is this. I know this to be 100% certain. They would be just as happy with one ball. Because most of the time, like 97.8% of the time, they're only playing with one at a time. They're not any happier because they have 200. But every time they see a new ball, all of a sudden they're like, Daddy, we just got to have that ball. No, you don't, kid. I'll be so happy if I have this ball. My collection of balls will be complete if I have this one ball. No, you won't actually be any happier. You're at buyer's remorse. Why does that happen? Because for some reason in your brain, you're like, this thing will make me happy. And then you buy it and you're like, it actually did not make me happy. We just, there's something about us that we just, there's something in us that finds it difficult to believe that God's actually giving us his best. And that we always need to add to it for some reason. And the Lord's trying to work that out of us. So we don't want to look at things and think they're good in our own eyes. Here's what I want you to know. God is absolutely trustworthy. John 10.10, I want to show you John 10.10. God is absolutely trustworthy. And the goal of the Christian life is to just do this, to acknowledge that God is actually good. That he is good. That he is a good father. He's a father that you can completely trust. That he is not holding out on you. That in the midst of your suffering, when you don't understand, when you've got questions and you feel like jumping off the boat, what you really need to do is what Asaph did and get in the house of God and let the Lord give you some wisdom. Be around his presence. Let his words saturate your heart and your soul so that you're reminded of what he said so that you can move forward in faith no matter how long the season of waiting goes. And you can be around a church who says, hey, if you're mourning, we're going to mourn with you. If you've got a burden, and we're going to bear it with you and we're going to pray with you and we're going to walk with you and to be around the body of Christ who can hold you up because we believe in a good God who says things like this in John 10.10. You know this verse. John 10.10, please. There we go. The thief, who's the thief? The devil. The devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. One translation of John 10.10 says it this way, and I think it's my favorite way ever to read it. It says, Jesus wants to give you a life that is greater and better than anything you could ever imagine or hope for. I believe that. I believe that, that Jesus, when he said that, he meant it. I have come to give you a life that's greater and better than anything you could ever imagine or hope for. And you're like, how do I get that? Matthew 6, You know this one too, but I want to show it to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I was told we have a new guy on the computer tonight. Give it up. Give it up for the new guy on the computer. He's doing excellent. He's doing excellent. I didn't put these verses in my notes. That's why... I should have. I should have put it right there and I wouldn't have to. There we go. All right. right, Thank you. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, you can leave that verse up there for a little while. Here's what I want to show you. In the context of this verse, Jesus has done a couple of things. He's talked right before this. He talks about money. Don't put your trust in money. Pastor Rick did a wonderful. He could have preached this message. Don't put your trust. in. It's easy to, though. It's like money will fix all my problems. No, it won't. Don't put your trust in money. And then Jesus goes into this. He starts talking about don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. He says, go look outside at the birds. Your Father in heaven loves those birds. And he takes care of their every need. And then it's like you can just imagine Jesus just getting down on his knee and just looking you right in the eyeballs as you're sitting there crying. Like, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm just going... Little child, you're so much more valuable than the birds. Like you mean infinitely more to your heavenly father than those birds do. And if he takes care of them, what are you so worried about? 
says, but you got to seek first his kingdom. Can I show you something that, that I, just, I just got this revelation? He says, seek first. And sometimes I think we hear, seek only. That's not what he said. See, I think sometimes we feel like the pressure is we have to abandon all of our other desires and just follow after Jesus. What he said was, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean? That means that I trust that Jesus is so good that if I will do whatever he leads me to do, that all of those desires that he knows are in my heart, that are good and holy and righteous, he will bring them to pass in his time. But if I see something that I think is good and desirable, and I go to try to take it outside of his will, he knows that's bad for me. And he's trying to get me to the very best, the life that's better than anything I could ever imagine or hope for. That's where he's leading me. She says, seek first. Trust that if you just go with me, all these other things are going to be taken care of. Do you hear that? Now, here's the deal. All of us are in here tonight with a variety of different issues, different circumstances that we're going through. Some of us, life's pretty good right now. Our biggest concern is if we're going to have to mow the grass this week. Some of us are in an absolute fight of our faith, and we might be like Asaph at the beginning of a psalm where he says, I'm ready to jump off the boat. If Jesus showed up in the flesh right now, and walked up to you in the midst of your situation. I'm saying Jesus himself showed up in human flesh and walked right up to you and said, child, look at me in the eyes. I have got you. I am leading you to abundant life. If you would just seek me first, all these desires that you have in your heart that are holy and righteous, they're all going to come to pass, child. Just trust me. If Jesus showed up in human flesh right now, how many of you would believe every word that he said? I got really good news for you. Jesus showed up in human flesh. And he looked at his disciples and he said, hey, child, look at me. I've come to give you a better life than you could ever imagine or hope for. But if you seek me first, if you will absolutely trust me with your life, and you'll just go where I lead you, oh, you have no idea what's in store for you. And so we find ourselves in this tension. Do I really have faith in Jesus? Because he did show up in human flesh. And he didn't just show up in human flesh, church. He went to a cross and rose from the dead to prove to us that he is faithful to every word that he's spoken. So the band's going to come back up because they told me they would tonight. And I'm just excited to finish the service with with the band. This is going to be incredible. You don't know this, but every single time I have to preach, I ask them to do a worship night, and they say no. <laughs> I asked again tonight, and they said no. <laughs> so one of these days, it's going to happen. But here's what I want to do. I want to do this for you. I want you to know that there is absolutely no shame. There is no shame in showing up to church and saying, I am at the end of my rope, and I'm not sure I can hang on much longer. In fact, I believe that based on Psalm 73, that the moment we're willing to admit it and come forward and confess it in the sanctuary of our God, that God will meet us there. That's what I believe because that's what he said happened for him, right? And so what I want to do for you tonight is I want to just let you know we're here for you. I want you to know I've been in that place. Man, I've been in a dark place. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you guys But about three years ago, I went to Pastor Dosick and I said, I don't think I can be a youth pastor anymore. I I don't even know that I have faith in it. I don't even know that I believe anymore. I was at the darkest place I've ever been in in my life. And Pastor looked at me with the most love in his eyes and he said, son, is this your first time? (laughs) You know, and I was like, yes, this is the first time I've been to this place. He said, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. Let me pray for you. And son, just keep one day at a time. Just one day at a time. And I wish I could say I went home that night and that season was over. It was not. That season went on for about six months. And I'm talking, crying myself to sleep every night, like pain. 
I don't even know why it happened. Life was good for me. I have no idea why I hit that season, but I hit it. I wish I would have gone to pastor much earlier before it got to the lowest point and just said, Pastor, I don't know what's happening to me, but it feels so dark. And he could have told me, is this your first time right then? And that might have encouraged me and I might not have gone. What I'm saying is, don't wait till you're at rock bottom to come to the church and say, I need help because of my faith, I feel like giving up. We've been there. There's no shame in it. That's actually why the church exists. To bear with one another and to walk through it. So if you're in that place tonight, we're gonna all stand up and we're just gonna worship together. We're just gonna open up our hearts to Jesus. But if you're in that place tonight and you have been like ready to just give up on everything, I wanna invite you to come down. The prayer team's gonna be down here. I'm gonna be down here. Maybe some of the other campus pastors will be down here. I don't know, we'll have a whole army down here ready to pray for you. But I don't want you to leave tonight without having a moment where Jesus looks you in the face and says, come on up child, you don't have to stay there. We want to pray for you and we want to minister to you tonight. So if that's you as the band just starts worshiping, just come down front. Prayer team, you can go ahead and get down here and get ready to go. Get ready to rock and roll. And um, just worship with us for a few moments if you would. Let me pray. Father, I just pray right now for, for the people that are watching via live stream. God, that have been in this place of feeling like giving up, God, that they're in a season of just suffering and, and hurt and pain and they don't know why. Father, I pray that tonight that those watching via live stream would be encountered by Jesus tonight, that they would feel the presence of God wherever they are in whatever room they're watching, Father, that the presence of God would just minister to them. Father, that they'd lift up their eyes to the heavens where their help comes from, Father, because it comes from you. You are the one that gives us wisdom. You are the one that gives us joy in the morning. And your mercies are new every morning. We can trust in you. So, Father, I pray that they would lift their eyes to you and that you would meet them right there where they are, Father. And for the people in this room right now who have maybe at the end of their rope, God, I pray that they would have courage to step down. God, to just come down and receive prayer and comfort and encouragement in the arms of a brother and sister in Christ who have been there before and can lift them up, Father. Be with us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you need prayer, come on down. We'll, we'll give you just a few minutes here. Shout cheese.